Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? I am fantastic. After last week, where my, my spine blew out my, my back, effectively, um, it's gotten a lot better. I'd say I'm 99.9% healed, um, so 11 weeks ahead of schedule. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's still, like, I can still feel it. I can still, when I bend down or tie my shoes and stuff, it's not great. But other than that... I am fantastic. It's relatively warm in Ireland. Well, Dublin anyway, and that realistically is all that matters in Ireland. Um, so the sun is kind of poking through, so I'm happy about that. How are you, Gary? I'm great. I'm glad to hear about your back, not just not because I care about you, but because last week we had a podcast on self-efficacy and resilience, and we we're trying to make the point that your decision to just be like, hey, it's going to be fine was a good call. So I was thinking then after the podcast, I was like, what if he suddenly loses power in both limbs, loses his sexual function, um, and needs emergency decompressive surgery, and has a really long recovery period, and potentially um, doesn't recover his function uh, going into the weekend. And then we'd have to come into this podcast and be like, hey, lads, uh, just about what we said there last week, uh, maybe reconsider it. But anyway, I'd just be no in a full, well. like, full, <laughs> full, full spiker cast, just be like, you know, yeah. <laughs> not allowed to move, not allowed to turn sideways, not allowed to do anything, be like, yeah, I'm not not resilient at all (laughs) oh anyway so last week in last week's podcast we did touch on something that we're going to discuss in in more detail this week and that's the process of or, or just generally coaching as a collaborative process because obviously in any situation where you're coaching someone if you're a trainer um or maybe you're a coach with a team or whatever there's always at least two people involved in the process so you have the coach and you have the client or athlete or whatever terminology you prefer to use. Um, you always have at least that many people uh, involved in the situation. It might be a, a broader situation where, for example, you could be a trainer, you could be working with a client and they've had surgery and you're also collaborating with a physio who's giving you specific targets as you move along and telling you maybe where you should be. And same thing in a, in a physio context, sometimes you might be collaborating with a, a surgeon who's done the surgery and now they're telling you this is when they can do these exercises, this is when they can get back running, etc. So there's always at least two people involved. Um, and it's often, it, classically, I suppose, when you think of coaching, you think of you know, the real kind of the, the dictator um, and the kind of subordinate uh, approach towards things where the coach is basically going to tell the individual what to do. And it's basically as simple as they either do it and get results or they don't and don't get the results. And that's pretty much it. And I think early on in your career as a trainer or as a coach or a nutritionist or whatever field you're working in, you can kind of think that that is normal and that that actually puts it, it's not only going to compromise the quality of the service for the individual client, but it also makes your job harder. And that's something that I'd like to make clear throughout this podcast is that collaborative decision-making is better for you as a coach. It makes it easier to make decisions because what people often think when they first start to coach people from a training or nutrition perspective or whatever, they often think that they need to have all the answers. And the reality of the situation is that a lot of the barriers to training and nutrition are not strictly knowledge related. It's not strictly related to how much research you've read on the topic, you know, Um, you know, program design, you might read research that says, Oh, here are the genetic, the genetic factors that might uh, lead someone to vary in their response to resistance training. Um, 
And you might think that you need to be aware of that. Whereas what you actually need to be aware of is what your client is able to adhere to, for example, or what's in their gym, what do they have access to and what do they enjoy? And also like what have they had success with in the past? And if you're able to collaborate on that decision-making process, it's far more likely that you're going to get a lot out of it then. Um, And you didn't actually have to do all the really hard knowledge work that can seem more intellectual, but isn't necessarily better coaching practice. So that's kind of, the, the point of buy-in, I would say, for starting to think about collaborative, collaborative coaching. Yeah, and also with this, like if you're listening to this and you're just an individual who's training yourself, yeah. it still applies in, in that circumstance as well, right? And it, I'm going to give an example to kind of illustrate this, but then what I want you to think about when I'm giving this example is also like, oh, I'm coaching someone, they're going to tell me stuff, right? But if you're coaching yourself effectively, you can tell yourself stuff, right? And the way you do that is like true, like we'll say in this example, like some sort of biofeedback, right? So say you want to, you're just an individual and you're like, oh, I have a tight muscle, right? Whatever that means, right? You're just like, I just want to stretch this muscle out, right? And you stretch and you go do a little uh, search engine search and you're like, oh yeah, I found a stretch for my hamstrings, right? I'm going to do that. And you're like, I don't feel this in my hamstrings, right? So that gives you feedback, right? That's that's the feedback. If you're coaching yourself, that's the feedback. It's like, this is supposed to be stretching my hamstring because it's tight or whatever. I, I want to stretch my hamstrings and, and I'm not getting any kind of stretching sensation in the hamstring here, right? So there's your feedback, right? But if you're a coach, you, you don't get that immediate feedback. You can just prescribe an exercise or a stretch or you know whatever and be like, yeah, so we're going to do squats because we want to target the quads, right? But if that individual is like, I, I don't feel any of this in my quads. I just feel it in my low back. I feel really unstable in these. You know, I don't really like them. You know, uh, there's all these other barriers for me to actually getting in and squatting. There's only one squat rack in my gym, whatever it is, right? If you as a coach never ask those questions or you never get any of that feedback, you can just be left going like, why is this person not progressing? I gave them squats. Squats are supposed to make your legs big. Their legs aren't getting bigger, you know? And you've effectively got rid of the the feedback mechanism by not actually collaborating with the individual. Because at the individual level, they can get immediate feedback. They can be like, okay, you know, I felt this. Now, we've talked about it before, how you know, using feelings as your only guiding process in decision-making, that isn't the, the best approach to things. But it is giving you some feedback, especially if it's related to like pain or whatever. You know, you're just like, I'm doing this exercise. It feels really bad on my wrists. You know? like if you don't get that feedback from your client, you can just be like, all right, just progress your squats. Why, why aren't you progressing them? Like, why aren't, like, keep pushing forward. Like, I, I want to see you adding more weight to the bar. It, you should be going up in X amount of weight per week or whatever, you know? And you've effectively gotten rid of that collaboration because you are assuming you have this prior knowledge of how they should respond to an exercise or to an intervention. Like, if you're a nutritionist, it's the same thing about a nutrition protocol that you're bringing in. You're like, oh yeah, we should respond to this, but you never actually got the feedback and you never actually understood that it is a collaborative process and that you're not going to get things right from the start. You know, you might be like, okay, I have five, six, seven, eight different exercises that can target the quads effectively that I like, you know, I'm like, they're the ones that I, my go-to ones, they seem to be effective, right? So just only using one of those and then never getting feedback from the individual 
to whether they're, they're, you know, they're actually feeling it working. They feel good with that exercise, you know, whatever, all those other variables. You've just effectively said, yeah, I know I have a toolbox. I'm just not going to use it. You know, everything, I'm just going to use my hammer because everything looks like a nail, you know? Yeah. And I mean, this is fundamentally like the way healthcare works. Like it depends on the setting that you're in, but like, if you've never worked in, in, in any sort of healthcare role, you mightn't understand this, but basically what might work it like, or how things might work. If you have a patient that's thinking about, right, they're trying to get the, the person to go home. Let's say it's a 75 year old lady. She's living alone and they want her to go home. It's not simply a case of saying, you know, the doctor saying, right, this lady's uh, medically well, let's get her to go home. Bye-bye. Good luck. You know, it's a case of, you know, the, the physio and the occupational therapist trying to see, right. Is, is the home safe? Does her function suit the home? These types of things, you know, the dietitian, you know, seeing if, if the, the food resources that she has available are, are similar to what she had access to in the hospital and all, all these sorts of different things depends on the situation, of course. But the point, the point there being that what you might, the point, the person might be medically well, and that might be the standard that one person considers, but what could actually be the barrier to the person going home could be something completely different. And the collaborative decision-making process might actually need to involve the family, for example, to say that, right, look, guys, I know that you as a medical team, all of you seem to think that this option is best, that my mother should be going home. But what you have to realize about our home is that, you know, there's this big step coming in from the back and there's actually a step into the sitting room and the fireplace really sticks out and she could trip over it. And all these sorts of problems that you would be blind to had you not gone deeper into collaborative decision-making. Because if you're, if, like you said, if, 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 if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're just a doctor that's thinking about antibiotics and whether the person has an infection or not, that's all you're going to be thinking about. Whereas you're not going to be thinking about obstacles in the home. So for in that, in that sort of context, you can see how that is very, very relevant, but it's also very, very relevant in the personal training context. And you just discussed the topic of feedback that you're, you know, that that's probably one that's a good one for people to get because it's, it's pretty apparent. Like, obviously you want to get feedback from your clients in terms of what they're feeling when they do an exercise, but you can also it as sort of a, a starting point, like from the get-go anyway, like one of the things I always say to my clients so that we're on like a clear playing field from the get-go is I'll tell them that, look, this is not a specific program to, for you, or at least not as specific as it could be, right? Because I have to start general. I have to start general while using some information that you've given me on the questionnaire to give us a starting point, but I can only get specific if we make decisions together. Okay. So by saying that to people, it kind of lets them know that, right, I see that he's kind of using as much information as he can at the moment, but I need to be involved in the active feedback process to change this as we go forward. And what I always say to people is that if you don't give me the feedback, I won't be able to do my job as well, and you won't get the most out of the service. So there's actually responsibility on them as well, um, as well as me, so that we can both make good decisions. And when you start to do that, it actually really helps with buy-in, commitment, and even motivation at times, because basically what ends up happening is, if the person has, has said to me, you know, if I initially put back squats in their program, and they say, they come back and they say, uh, Gary, look, you put back squats uh, first in the program, but I always prefer to deadlift first. I get way more out of it. And I think I'll get stronger that way. Then I'm putting my trust in their decision-making by saying, okay, I trust you. 
let's do that. And then you can show me uh, how that goes. They're going to be committing to that a lot more. And that's actually most apparent in the nutrition context because nutrition is obviously something where adherence is a, a very significant barrier. And if you can make it so that the individual has decided how they're going to set up their calories, like within reason, you know, I might say to someone, look, at this point in the crossroads, you've been making good progress. It's slowed down a little bit. And we now have an option to work faster, get more aggressive with the diet and go into a deeper deficit, or we could keep trucking along nice and slowly. What do you think you can commit to at this point in time? And if the person says to me, I can commit to cutting calories by 500 and I'm going to be able to adhere to that, no problem. The thing is, it's not me that has said that. It's them that have said that. They've told me that they can do that. And then they're going to be the ones that are committing to it a lot more because they, they're, not going to turn around, they're not going to be as likely to turn around after a couple of weeks and say, oh, Gary, you know, I know you told me to cut my calories, but I think that was way too much um, because they're the ones that have made the decision. And I think that really does help from a commitment perspective. Yeah, like effectively what you're doing when you're setting up this collaborative coaching experience, first of all, you're letting them know that this is an ever-evolving program. Like you're not yeah. omnipotent. You can't see every permutation of what will go right and what will go wrong and you know the exact macronutrient profile that this person needs, the exact food selection. You know that in four weeks' time, they're going to have, I don't know, a family relative die. So they're going to have to you know go to a, a funeral or whatever. So that's going to bring all these challenges into the diet. Like you can't see all of that stuff, right? So the... The, the plan has to be ever evolving once you start getting that, that feedback, right? So you have to communicate that with the individual, right? But you also have to be willing to communicate that with yourself if you are coaching yourself, but also you have to be willing to communicate that and accept that if you are a coach, right? Because it can feel like when you are a coach, like, oh, I'm the person that people go to because I have all the answers, right? And that can kind of give you a, uh, we'll call it a guru complex where you're like, uh, my shit doesn't stink. I know exactly what to do, right? Uh, this is the plan. Once you do the plan, look, results will just follow. It's obvious, you know? And that's not always the case, you know? You're going to need to come up with different interventions for different people, have different protocols for different people. You know, some things work for some people, they're just terrible for other people. So we need to have a lot of tools in the toolbox so that we can navigate these situations, right? But the only way you can navigate those situations is if you've explained from the start that this is an ever-evolving process. It's going to start in a generic pro, uh, position where you're like, right, this, this seems to work for the majority of people, right? If you were to be saying, right, here's a population, design a training program that does three days per week. Here's one that seems to work for the majority of people, right? Boom, we start with that, right? And then from that, you start talking to the individuals and you go, oh, well, you actually have a little bit of a... Uh, the angle of your shoulders there, we would actually maybe switch to this exercise. Or we look at your sternum and we're like, that, mm, that exercise for your chest maybe isn't going to be the most effective. Let's just switch it to this one. You know, oh, look, we're, we're seeing based on how your strength is progressing in this exercise and the way you, you're showing me your technique in it, it doesn't look like that's a great exercise for you. But this other exercise is probably going to give you a, a, a lot more. You're going to get a lot more out of it for what we want, you know? So you start tweaking things, you start going, all right, so we, we started in a generic place, we saw how you performed the exercises, we saw how you responded to them, like how strength was moving, how they felt, you know, you got some feedback just talking to the individual, and then you tweaked from there until we get to a, a, a closer and closer position to a more, quote unquote, perfect program, 
at the moment. Um, and you shouldn't view it as, oh, I'm going to give someone the perfect program from the start because that, that never happens. There's always some little tiny thing that we could tweak. Even if it just comes down to the setup of the, the, the exercises in the program where they're like, oh, well, this exercise is on this side of the, the gym and this exercise is on this other side of the gym, but these ones are close together. Can I just do them together? You know, And that might be make the program so much more effective because now they're not switching between a few different things. You know, This is very apparent, especially if you're in a, a smaller gym and they don't have a huge amount of uh, squat racks and you're like, all right, well, I want you to do a squat and then I want you to do this other exercise, You know, use a machine over here and then go back to get a barbell in the squat rack and do deadlifts and then do this other machine over here. And then we're gonna go back to the squat rack and we're gonna do hip thrusts. And it's like, that means that in that workout, they have to secure a squat rack three times, you know? And that could just be not effective for the setup of their gym where there's like two or three squat racks and there's two or 300 people in the gym, you know? So they're maybe getting the squat rack once per workout and that's it, you know? So you have to factor all that stuff in. And when you might be like, oh, well, theoretically, physiologically, like anatomically, we would want to do this exercise. It's like, well, we have limitations to what we can do because of the environment that we're in and they're always present as i said especially at the start of this whole lockdown stuff i was like there's always better exercises you weren't doing the best exercise you possibly could do from the start you were doing exercises that were you know easy to do in the environment that you had you know there's always better exercises right but also you are effectively building uh the relationship by telling the individual that yeah, look, I'm, we're starting in a, gen, a, a generic, more generalized position, and we're going to evolve this over time to a, a more idealized program for you. Right? But the only way you can do that is if we have an open conversation. And I always say in my emails, I'm like, right, look, we need to, I, like, I can't feel what you can feel. So I need you to be effectively my eyes and ears. You know, like, you're going to tell me how things progress, how, how you feel when you're doing them, how, like, what are the limitations? all the stuff that's going on. You're going to tell me all that feedback. You're going to give me that. And then we're going to come up with some sort of way to navigate that together. You know, again, like Ari was saying, you might do a thing where you're like, look, these are our options where, you know, we could do this. We could push harder with calorie deficit, or we could push harder with, you know, more activity or, you know, whatever. How do you think this feels or how do you think this would go with the, the schedule that you have over the next few weeks? Like which one is more appealing to you or maybe a combination of some things. And then there, involved in the decision-making process, you know, you, of course, as the coach are giving them options so that they can go, Oh, look, this one, mm, I don't know about this. This is not going to work. And then they have a a more involved role and they have a a better understanding of how to actually make decisions uh, regarding training because you've given them a few options and you've you've explained to them how this this exercise uh, works for this muscle or this exercise doesn't work for this muscle or, you know, whatever it is. And you've helped educate them on the overall rationale between why you're making these changes because it has been a, a collaborative process. But effectively, what you're also doing is you're building that relationship over time so that the, you're effectively nurturing it from the very start by telling them that, look, this is a collaborative approach. I'm not, I don't know everything. I can't get everything right from the start. This has to be a two-way street where we you know, jive off each other and get feedback off each other because down the road, you want them to be able to talk to you about like, harder things because you know, say it's fat loss. It's pretty easy to get fat loss at the start. You know, but down the road when it's like, look, there's all these little tiny barriers and little whatever, 
that are going to get in the way of it, you know, when we're really pushing for fat loss, for example, you know, it's a place that they've, they've never been with fat loss, you know, they're getting really lean or, you know, maybe they're obese and they're just like in a very hard position to get to classified as quote unquote normal weight um, or average weight or whatever. Um, and they're going to come up with these hurdles. You need to have nurtured that process where they can talk to you, that they feel confident that when they say something to you, you're actually going to listen to it. Because far too often, if you are in that dictator role, they're not going to tell you what's going on. They're going to be like, look, I'm not going to tell Patrick that I, uh, uh, I'm struggling with the diet and I, I binge ate this week twice. You know, I'm just not going to tell him because I don't want him to think less of me or I think that I'm not trying hard enough. I'm really trying with the diet. So uh, I'm just not going to tell him. And then me as a coach, I'm looking at that, the data and going like, what the fuck? We're not moving in the direction that we want to go in. So, so I'm going to, uh, you know, just, I don't know, change the calories or, you know, bring in more cardio or whatever and effectively make the program harder for them to stick to when they're already struggling all because we've not had this open relationship where we can actually talk about what's going on about all of the the intricacies and how they're actually feeling and how they're actually you know engaging with the program that i've given them the nutritional program the the training program the lifestyle whatever they they're not in a position where they can actually talk like you should effectively be viewing it as you know a relationship like you would you know your partner you know you want to have a position where we can talk openly. If there's a problem, we can talk about it. Like you don't, nobody wants to be in a relationship where nobody talks about things and six months down the line, six years down the line, it just all bubbles up in a big like bang. You don't want to be in that position. You want to be like, right, let's deal with the problems as they come and have a relationship where we can actually talk. You know, that's what people want. Yeah. And, and as a coach in general, like I think thinking big picture, you effectively want survivorship bias to play as as little a role as possible in the results that your clients get. And a survivorship bias, for those who aren't familiar, can be understood very simply. If if we put on if we put a hundred people on the exact same program, and it's really really intense, it's really really difficult. There's going to be a certain percentage of those people that will survive that, um, and that will get that might great get great results from that. And we could present, let's say, the 25 who did well on our website uh, as testimonials for our coaching process. We could just present those people, ignore the other 75. And that would be an example of survivorship bias because we're basically only showing the people who were able to survive our guidelines. So you can certainly operate a coaching practice like that. And it can be lucrative because what you can effectively do is sell some sort of really intense, uh, really fixed, rigid method that doesn't require you to do much as a coach and get good results with some people and then use those testimonials as means to get, get more and more people back. But ultimately, longer term, that's not what you want to do. You want to be the person who's actually able to, you know, switch your approach to change how you program nutrition, change how you program training, depending on the individual that's actually in front of you. Um, and collaborative decision-making allows you to do that and allows you to achieve that because there's nothing that makes me cringe more than when I see other fitness businesses who basically operate uh, with like, they're known for having a specific way of training or a specific way of eating. Like, like that's what people go to them for because it's actually reflected sometimes in the inquiries we get for coaching. Someone will email and be like, uh, I'd love to see a sample program from you guys just to see if it's kind of the way I like to train or the way I, the way I want to train. 
And that for me is just not what coaching is about because obviously you want the person's input, but what you don't want is to just, you know, be, be a type of business that people go to if they want to train another way, you know, like if we have two businesses, triage one and triage two, triage one, you do all four sets of 10 to 12 on all exercises, um, far from failure. And then triage two, you do one top set and one back offset, both to failure. And both of those different businesses will attract different people, uh, but not because they're superior, simply because it's how the person wants to train. And if you're just satisfying that, then you're never actually allowing the person to move towards um, a better way, potentially of them training or a better way uh, of them eating. It will be the same as if we were to advertise ourselves as a low carb business or a keto business or a vegan business. You know, of course there are places for those things, but the problem is when you are basically just having a fixed method, applying that to everyone rather than having some way of triaging people, you know? Um, so collaborative decision-making where that fits into that discussion is basically by taking those people that do actually present themselves with their, they might have their own biases, um, but you actually allowed, you expose them to maybe some new things. So for example, if you have a client who's always eaten low carb and they've always gotten great results with that, you can validate that by saying something like, you know, completely, uh, completely understand where you're coming from. Like low carb diets can be absolutely excellent for um, reducing body fat, um, you know, maintaining health long-term. But one of the things I'm concerned with is that, look, it looks like you're getting most of your fat in your diet from bacon and butter. And I think maybe from a health perspective, we could consider maybe getting some salmon in a couple of times per week, or maybe instead of the butter on a couple of meals, we could try some olive oil. What do you think about that? Again, you're, you're, bit, you're validating the person's priors um, by saying, look, there, there are good things with what you're doing, but you're also introducing new things that could potentially be better for them. It would be the same then if they were, let's say they do a, a really hard leg day on a Friday, that's how they've always trained. And they're on that low carb diet. You might say to them, look, this workout is actually really, really demanding. Um, and it's, you're going to be using primarily carbohydrates for fuel. So how would you feel about maybe just introducing some carbohydrates around the workout? And other than that, we can keep the diet low carb primarily. I think your performance will be better. And you're basically just showing the person that, look, I'm, co I'm completely listening to what you're presenting me with. I think, based on my knowledge, that there are a couple of new things you could try to actually take things up a level. And then you're saying to the person that this has the potential for failure. So you can say to the person, look, you might feel crap eating, eating carbohydrates before your workout. And if that's the case, look, we can revert and we can try something new. That's no problem. We're just trying. Is that okay with you? So it's all about, it's, it's, it's kind of like informed consent, but it's something that's obviously just not a, not a very like it's not an invasive intervention to tell people to eat carbs before their workout, but it is still informed consent. You're still the person, the ownership of the decision. They know what they're getting into. They know why you're making the decision. And they also feel like, hey, that coach, they're actually listening to me because they're letting me continue with what I'm doing. What you don't want is that that person comes in, they've always eaten a low carb diet and you're like, oh, you're such a fucking idiot. You're, you're on a low carb diet and you're trying to build muscle. That is so dumb because there are coaches that do actually approach things like that, you know? Um, and, and we've had clients over the years who, you know, they've, they've worked with others who just have that kind of militant approach, that dictator approach um, of saying like, all right, you didn't stick to your diet this week. Like what's wrong with you? Do you take this seriously at all? You're making a joke of my service. Some people do that. And the reality is that there will, there will again be an element of survivorship bias because some clients 
they might love that. They might love being told aggressively that they're failures. However, you'll find that that's often not the case. And ultimately, a skilled coach will be able to pick out those clients who maybe do enjoy being told what to do in a more kind of like military type manner. Uh, and the others who will, you know, really want to be involved in the decision making process, take small little steps forward. And both of those clients could get fantastic results but you have to be a, a coach who's able to collaborate on the decisions if you want to get the most out of those people yeah and like you can run your business however the fuck you want to run your business like really yeah, do what you want <laughs> do, do whatever the fuck you want you know and um, however like obviously if you want to train a certain way that's perfectly fine if you're like oh look yeah you want to be the one set guy top set guy perfect yeah. that's cool however like you have to realize then that you aren't able to help everyone. Right. And that's perfectly fine. You know, it, that's a perfectly valid business method where you're like, right, look, I only train these people. You have to go through a screening process to work with me so that we know that we're a good fit, that you like these things that I like to train like this, you know, that's perfectly fine, but you just need to have your business set up to accommodate that. Right. Because far too often what happens is people take on people that, aren't able or potentially aren't even willing to train in the manner in which they want them to train. And they also aren't willing to listen to those individuals. And I'm saying this as someone who definitely has predilections for being that like militant, like very much like authoritarian, like right wing, like this is how we do it. This is, this is the way we do it. But it also, it just doesn't work as effectively as actually listening to the individual, finding their point of view and being like, right, that actually makes sense. I understand why you feel like that. This is what like the, the science says or the research says, this is what I found from you know my experience coaching people. So let's marry those two and we'll give you a little bit of what you're saying you want and then a little bit of what I think we need to keep things pushing forward. You know, like it doesn't have to be an either or argument. Now, obviously there are some cases where that is, it is an either or argument. You're just like, right, you like doing this exercise, but this exercise is far too risky to be doing based on your goals, based on what we're trying to do. Like, I don't know, you're doing BOSU balls, fucking cleaning jerks, and you're six months pregnant. I'm like, right, well, this, this yeah, is far, far too risky. So I'm, I'm not going to put my backing in that. You know, I don't care that you like doing that. It's just, that's reckless, right? And so, you know, in in that case, it's like, okay, there is obviously a position to be more, we'll call it militant with it and be like, right, look, no, we can't do that because this is why X, Y, and Z explain the risk to reward benefit and be like, look, it's just not there, you know? However, a a lot of decisions around health and fitness stuff, um, it's just not that serious. You know, it's not like life or death. It's not like you are a doctor, like we're comparing this to and it's like, yeah, do they need five grams of this medication or do they need three? And it's like, well, if we give them too much, they'll actually go into cardiac arrest. It's like, well, you like that's a that's a big decision to make, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas going like, oh, should we do three sets or five sets? That's just not like as life threatening, you know. However, we do obviously have a job to do, and we want to do our job correctly, and we want to do it well, you know. So, the manner in which you do that well is by actually collaborating with the individual in front of you, or again, if you're coaching yourself collaborating with yourself, assessing things as you go, be like, right, how did I feel? What was the feedback from it? Am I getting the results that I, you know, I wanted to get, you know, okay, I am, nothing needs to change there, or I could make it a little bit easier or harder or whatever needs to be done in this position here to keep things moving forward, you know? So 
effectively you have to talk you have to communicate whether that means talking to yourself effectively you know just communicating with yourself being like how do things go what's going on but you also need to talk to the individual in front of you right that's the that's the the, the crux of it just actually communicating but you also have to have like harry's been saying like that collaborative decision making it isn't just a dictatorship it's not just like right patrick said listen talk you know i'm doing that and then you just decide to make all the changes yourself you know it's like right they told me all this information i got feedback happy days like obviously you're as an individual coaching yourself you're the one that's completely in charge of making the changes so it's going to be a dictatorship because you're telling yourself what to do right however if you're coaching someone it's a little bit different where it's like right you've given me this feedback i've thought about it we have these next three options of what we could do you know it could be 20 options but you're like these are the three best options um this one impacts your life a little bit more. Maybe it's, you know, I know you get up to 15,000 steps per day and you're like, yeah, look, that means you're going to have to go for an extra walk here or you're going to have to do this or whatever. It impacts on their life, you know? This other one, we're going to have to drop calories a little bit because, you know, oh, look, you're just not, you know, getting the fat loss that we want to the speed that we want. And I think dropping calories would be a great idea. But then they're also on relatively low calories, you know, for them. They're like, oh, like I'm kind of already a little bit, hungry on these calories you know i'm not able to fit in the foods that i like i'm not able to eat my family my friends whatever it is and then the other one's like oh well we can actually also do you know more exercise and we can do a a session that we can burn i don't know 500 calories of cardio um on a saturday or whatever it is you know and you've given these options you know and obviously they're very generic off the top of my head options but it could obviously be very specific ones um as well you know and you're, you're giving those options and you're going these are the benefits, these are the pros and these cons. And what do you think is the best going forward for your life at the moment? Like we can obviously do a little bit of a combination of the the few, these are the principles that it's working on, you know, calories in, calories out. You've explained that they understand that, you know, basics of like thermodynamics or whatever. And, and they're like, yeah, I understand that we need to burn a few more calories. This is the one I think is going to be more beneficial. Or it could be a case of like, them going, look, I actually don't think, I think we need to up calories because I feel like my energy has gone down the fucking swanny. I'm not able to stick to the calories and I'm binge eating and you know, whatever else, you know, but again, you've opened up that communication line and you're making that collaborative effort easy for them to actually engage in because you're involving them in the decision-making process. There's going to be times where you're like, yeah, look, I'm a dictator. This is the option we're going to do because you say that this is the goal. and We have four weeks to achieve the goal. So this is the only option that we have to go with, right? And if we can't go down this road, you, you feel like you can't do it, then we're just not going to be able to achieve that goal. So we need to be more realistic in our, our goals, you know? And again, that's a, a further conversation, which hopefully you've built up a relationship for so that you can actually talk through that in a, uh, an adult manner. Yeah, and, and I suppose you brought, you brought up the, the point about being a dictator a couple of times. I think that the important thing as well, which you alluded to, is not going to the total uh, reverse situation where you just allow things to descend into anarchy. You know, we, do, we don't want that to happen at all. Uh, because what can happen in some cases is that coaches can just be too nice. And I think that there's this very significant difference in coaching and in the real world between being nice and being good and, and being competent. And ultimately, as a coach, you want your competence to be reflected in terms of what you allow. Like, I'm, not, I'm never going to allow a client to sign up and for them to say, oh, I actually love training 40 sets for legs within one workout or 40 sets for quads. Like, sorry, no, like that's 
we're not going to be doing that. That's not a thing. We're not doing that, you know? And so you have to understand um, that you still have to keep your basic principles in line. And I think anyone that's familiar with basic training principles and nutrition principles appreciates that there's a considerable amount of flexibility um, that is allowable within, within the, that framework. You know, uh, there's, there's definitely not a single best way that you need to work with. Um, you might be able to find the best way over time, but ultimately at the beginning, you have so much flexibility that's accessible to you, but don't allow things to totally just go wild either. You know, if, if you have a client that's signing up and they're saying, you know, their goal is to lose weight, but they don't, they don't want to track calories. They don't want to weigh their food. It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, we, we, we can come up with some other things, but then they're also saying to you that, um, you know, I, I eat out like four nights a week. Um, I like to have drinks most nights and, uh, and yeah, when I wake up in the morning after drinking, I tend to have kind of a bad breakfast. Um, I don't think I want to change those things, but if we could just work around that, you know, you're kind of seeing that, right you're not going to track, you know, you don't want to weigh your food. You're not willing to move um, on these things that are clearly compromising your health. When you start to encounter those sorts of barriers, that's when you do actually have to step in or come in with that kind of slightly more authoritarian approach, or at least a very innocent, or I was going to say innocent, a very honest approach, uh, approach to uh, disseminating information to trying to inform this person that, look, this is why uh, your preferences at this point in time are not going to be feasible. Uh, they're not compatible with your results. I think we can find a middle ground somewhere, but the things that you're suggesting just aren't going to be manageable at this point in time. You know, um, you, you have to be able to do that too. You have to be able to step in and use your authority um, when it is justified. So just again, like most things in life, you know, you want to find that kind of middle ground. You don't want to be the person who's making all the decisions, but you also don't want to make uh, let your clients make all the decisions because this happens actually a lot in, in physiotherapy where people continue to give certain treatments to patients purely because it's what they expect. And you're kind of thinking then, is this, is this actually justifiable from a healthcare perspective where you're actually paying money and you're using healthcare healthcare costs, healthcare funding to do interventions that aren't actually based on evidence that aren't really helping the person just because they want it, you know, um, it's kind of harder to make that case. So ultimately it ruins your industry as well. Cause people then are exactly, like, oh, I don't, they didn't do anything for me. They just kept charging me money, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it also, it all, it's even from the perspective of other professions then that, that are, that are looking at that, um, or from policy perspective, you know, if a politician was to, was to review, uh, the physiotherapy provision within the HSE and they're saying, why are they doing all these, these treatments that aren't actually based on any, any evidence? You know, it doesn't, I, I can't see how physiotherapy is helping here at all, you know? So I think whether it's physiotherapy, uh, personal training, nutrition, whatever, you want to be able to operate with it with evidence-based principles, but to the point where you, you still allow yourself considerable amount of flexibility. What you don't want to get into is this kind of guideline, like this can happen in healthcare sometimes where people become rigidly attached to guidelines, which is no different to being rigidly attached to um, a particular way of training or a particular, particular way of eating. So again, it's about, it's about the principles, understanding the principles that are important and then having flexibility within that um, and making sure that you are upholding your perfect, your standards as a professional too, because that's what you don't want to happen is for you to start allowing your clients preferences to totally override any decision-making capacity 
capacity that you have um, and then for it to reflect poorly on your service longer term because that can happen. Um, and I've heard of cases like this where people have allowed their clients to maybe do a little bit too much training and stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe they, they always love doing German volume training, but they were also running like 40 kilometers a week or something like that. And then they end up getting injured and then it reflects poorly on the coach because the coach was the one that was supposed to be making decisions. And that doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily their fault, uh, but it's still uh, their responsibility in that context to be able to step in and to say, look, this isn't uh, this isn't uh, the best way of doing things. So, so yeah, if your client gets injured and they have an adverse, adverse events, whatever, it's not, it's not always uh, something that's related to one's training. Like randomness is always at play. But if you did allow your client to make all the decisions and you didn't step in, I know I, as a coach, anyway, will be turning around and kicking myself and saying, I could have done more there to, you know, use the knowledge that I actually had available. You know, if you didn't have the knowledge, that's a different ball game. Use injury or something that you're like, this is, almost directly correlated to like what we have been doing you know um so right i think people are aware now that they're like okay collaborative decision making and we'll call it collaborative coaching is probably a good idea you know it's probably not the best idea to you know be overly collaborative and just be willy-nilly and be like yeah look just you know basically you're just paying me money to confirm what you already want to do that's not a great place to be in you know but also it's not great to be the other side of the coin and be like right we're just a complete dictatorship and it's like this is the way i train here's your program no change will be made to that you know create the coaching process it's like there's your program like just just tick the boxes and do it it's just keep progressively overloading you know and that's obviously not where we want to be either and obviously the same applies to like nutrition and lifestyle stuff as well where it's not like just here you're a robot here's the inputs you know you have to consider the actual individual in there and what you were saying earlier on is like you need to find out their like readiness for change stuff like in the coach's corner i have a little document about like readiness for change and a lecture on that because that's information you need to get at the start of coaching just to get an idea but that's information you need to continually get throughout the coaching process because it's not like as i said it's you set everything up correctly from the start boom we're done you need to keep monitoring that and seeing like, how are things progressing? Firstly, are we getting the results that we wanted to? Yes. Okay, cool. But are they actually able to sustain this? And are they actually enjoying the program? Are they, you know, overly sacrificing their lifestyle or whatever, just so they can stick to this? Like they haven't seen their friends in months because they've been on a really restrictive diet because you don't let them eat, you make them eat keto or whatever, you know? And so we have to factor all of that stuff in, you know? And so it's, it is a very hard thing to do. And I'm, I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking of like uh, a coach who's starting out their, their coaching experience. And you can kind of feel like you're in this position where you're trying to be the person with all the answers and trying to, you know, really put a lot of effort into getting results with your clients. And that can almost lead you down the path to be a little bit more authoritarian in terms of like, being yeah. like, all right, I'm going to like, just, I need to be on top of them. I need to keep pushing them. I need to, you know, stay on top of them. How, did they get their steps today? Did they, did they stick to their calories? You know, and you're, you're just kind of overbearing in, in, in a way. Right. And you also put a lot of pressure on yourself where you're like, I need to have everything perfect to, from the start, I need to have everything set up so that they're going to get results. When, after like numerous years of coaching, you kind of realize you're like, okay, look, these are the things that need to be done. These are, I have a few different avenues to go down them. Um, how about I actually just talk to the person that is going down the path with me, you know, cause I, I view coaching as like 
a hand-holding experience. Like I've been down the path, I've coached people down the path. I know the trails, you know, um, and I'm effectively just bringing you down the trail. But they all ultimately, potentially, depending on which way we go, lead to the same point. Some of them are loops around. Some of them are like, oh yeah, look, you're actually going back to where you started. Let's go back down this other trail, you know? But ultimately they all lead towards the, the passage of time and hopefully towards your, your goals. Um, and I'm just bringing you down the path. But if we're like, oh, look, we actually want to take this slight detour because the scenery is a little bit nicer, i.e., you know, you can eat food with your friends and whatever else and still get results. They're a little bit slower to come because you're not as aggressive with the, the deficit or whatever. Um, and cool, if, we're, if that's the path we're willing to go down and you're willing with the trade-offs for that and we think it's going to be a better path, yeah, look, I already know that path. I, I know the trail. Let's go down it. You know, but we've had this communication where we're like, this is the benefits of this. This is the cons of this. Are you willing to accept that? Yes. Fantastic. Let's go right ahead with that. You know, because even just from a business perspective, that does also cover you down the road when in four weeks time, they're like, I don't think I'm getting the, as fast the results as I want. You can just refer back and be like, well, look, this is what I said four weeks ago it's going to be slower results, but you're going to be able to enjoy the process a lot more. And then they're like, Oh, look, I thought that's what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. I want faster results. And then again, we've got this collaboration going on where we're like, okay, so we weren't as clear in what we wanted. Now we have a little bit more clarity. Now we know which path to take, you know, going forward. And again, in another four weeks, you could be like, right, look, actually, that's not where we wanted to go. We need to do this, this, and this, you know? So again, it's an ever evolving plan of action. It shouldn't be viewed as you need to set everything up perfectly from the start. It's going to take time to create the plan of action that is suitable and effective for that individual. Yeah. And I think one final thing that you can uh, bring into this as well is you're, when you're collaborating on the decision-making process, what you can do from, from kind of like a responsibility perspective is start to start, basically start to take that kind of extreme ownership approach when problems do arise, because this actually works really well from a coaching perspective where when I, if I, as a coach, even if we've made a collaborative decision, because I, I think the tendency could be uh, if you're a coach and you make a collaborative decision and your client actually led that decision. And if it didn't work out well, um, you could turn around and say, oh, look, I know you suggested this. It probably wasn't the greatest call, you know, um, and you kind of like push the blame off on them or you don't take it all yourself. Whereas what I would do in that context to say is basically take extreme ownership of the situation to say that, look, oh, that was actually that was actually my fault. It was a bad call. I should have actually said that we should have done this instead, because what that actually does is it's not just about you saying, oh, look at me, you know, I'm so good. I'm I'm the one that actually took all the responsibility or you just blaming yourself and saying, I'm a shit coach. It's actually about you showing that, you know, I'm the one that's responsible for this. And then they're very, very likely to turn around to say to you that, oh, no, it wasn't your fault. You know, I actually thought four weeks ago that I'd actually be in a different situation, but then all these things came up at work. So it's completely my fault. I should have suggested something else. I should have been aware that that was going to pop up at work because like, not only did you get out of that exchange, did you get the person to take responsibility um, and you took responsibility, but they took responsibility as well so that they're going to be thinking more about the decisions that they make in the future. But what you also might get it out of that is additional information. So for example, the person saying that, oh, it was actually these things that came up at work. That's why, you know, the decision actually ended up not being being such a great decision. So I think if it, when you are making those collaborative decision decisions with people, you still have to be the person that is 
the most responsible in the room all the time. Um, and you are the person that is fundamentally responsible for the final call. Even if your client is 80% of has, has made 80% of the decisions um, with a particular protocol, you're still the one uh, that's, that's responsible at the end of the day. And, and I think that's, that's both empowering for you in terms of, yeah, it can be nerve wracking that, yeah, you're the one that has to make the call, but it's also empowering for your client because they'll actually start to try and take more responsibility as you move along. Um, and then that's just ultimately a, a very healthy coaching relationship to have where you're not being combative. You're both actually saying we're responsible adults. Let's make good decisions. Let's see where they go wrong. Um, rather than it just being a case of the client saying to you, Oh, but you told me to do this and I couldn't do it. It was bad. And then you saying to the client, but oh, you're just shit. Your motivation is so poor. You know, it's like, that's, that's just not coaching, you know? I have nothing else to add really. Just yeah, collaboration makes it easy. You know, like it's, it's actually harder to get results if you are not collaborating, you know? But obviously, as you said, you don't want to be like effectively over collaborating. And what I mean by that is just bowing to every whim that the individual suggests, you know, even if it is yourself and you're like, yeah, I actually think we should do this. It's like, well, we should have a rational, you know, logical reasoning for doing that. And um, it might be the case that it's like, oh yeah, look, this client enjoys it. They're going to have better adherence. It's a relatively minor thing. Who cares? You know, happy days, bang on forward. But if it's something more major, then we're like, okay, look, we actually need to spend a little bit more time thinking about this because that's not a good approach, you know? And um, but yeah, do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? The only final thing would be just, you know, know your own, I kind of mentioned this already, but just like know your own boundaries in terms of like what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Because like sometimes what can happen is that you might accept a client who they sign up and they say, I want a, I want a meal plan. That's what I want. I just want all my meals planned out. I want all my training sessions planned out. And, you know, that's just the way it is. That's what I want. Um, and I want my training pro program to look like this. Um, I know I'm going to get results like that. And, you know, they're paying you money. They're maybe making your job easier because you're not uh, doing all the work that you would normally do each week with your check-ins and changing things and reviewing, et cetera. Because um, they're just saying, look, I'm just going to stick to this. But know your boundaries in terms of like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with just giving someone um, a meal plan if you think that it's potentially actually not going to give them the things that you like your clients to get out of coaching? It's not an answer I can give to you. Like personally, I've had to make decisions like that in the past in terms of like, even physiotherapy on placements um, being getting poor feedback from educators because I wasn't willing to give people treatments because they just wanted them um, because I didn't agree with them. And I didn't feel like they were justified in, in that context. So that was me like respecting my boundaries, even though I knew that my educator could potentially look poorly on it and it would, it would affect my marking. But that's, that's what having like boundaries and having standards for yourself is all about is saying like, I'm not going to deviate from this just to get this client to like me. And I'm willing to say, look, I actually know other coaches who are more um, aligned with that because that can be really difficult in the short term, but it's better in the long term. You know what you don't like if you're, if you're thinking of a, we, we, you talked about it earlier in relation to businesses in general, but like you can run your business however you want. And if you're Bunsen burger, do fantastic burgers. Right. But if someone comes in to, to Bunsen and they're like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a pizza, I'm a pizza guy. You know, that's what I like. Uh, do you have any pizzas? Like the chef's not going to be like, 
yeah, okay, you know, we've got some stuff here. I'll just rustle one up. It's like, no, we don't do pizza. Go to four star. You know, we do, we do burgers. That's what we do. And, at, you know, if you understand your own coaching ethos, you know your standards, you know your boundaries, you know what you stand for and what you want to be known for in the long term, I think it can help you to understand where the limits of that collaborative decision-making um, approach lie. Um, because otherwise, you, you'll find yourself being pulled in all sorts of directions and you won't really know what you stand for otherwise, I think. 100% gay. I couldn't agree more with you except for recommending four star other than that. Um, yeah, I'm actually a Domino's guy to be honest. But I don't know anyone who isn't a Domino's person. But anyway, look, I, it was a slip of the tongue. People. I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. It's a slip of the tongue. You were just you were just thinking off the cuff. It's fine. Um, but yeah, effectively, if you want to be a better coach, where can people go to find out more information about stuff like this? Because obviously we are actually building a service to help with stuff like this. Yes, that, that is true. We are building a service to help with stuff like this. That is the Coach's Corner, which is a platform designed for basically applied personal training education, taking things from, from theory into practice. You know, while we will be delivering theoretical information, like let's say anatomy, for example, like, yeah, right, these are the muscles, these are the joints, these are the ligaments, this is how they work, this is the basic mechanic stuff. But what does that actually mean? You know, what does it mean for your client? What does it mean for this decision-making process? You know, why would I choose um, one exercise over another? What way, like, could you break down that exercise for me? What are the properties of the exercise? How would I change the technique for different clients? How can you use things like manual resistance and spotting in a way that's actually thought out and specific for the client how could you assess things like joint range of motion they're the types of things that we'll be covering in the coach's corner um it is all that applied stuff um obviously like we're we're fundamentally a business that are all about like education longer term like that's that's our ultimate aim and we put out a lot of free articles but what you'll find with the free articles is that we write very generally you know we write about you know the evidence that's there but it's not really saying right this is how you apply it to these 10 different clients whereas that's basically what the coach's corner is going to be um so if you are interested in that uh, you can pre-register your interest you'll basically get a discount for the first five days or so after launch. Um, and basically, once you pre-register your interest, you'll just be on an email list and you'll find out about that discount. There's no catch. You're not committing to anything. If you're not on any, our email list in general and you're like, I don't like being on newsletters, it's not a newsletter. It's totally separate. It's just a single, a single email, maybe two, just to let you know that the discount um, is available and that's all it is. So if you are interested, get stuck into that. Um, if you're someone who's listened to this podcast because you're like, oh, I want to know how they coach, you know, we do have coaching spaces available as well. So if you're interested in the, our actual coaching service, uh, working towards your goals, whether they be uh, performance or fat loss, body composition, rehab related, we can try and move towards those goals. Um, as we said, we have standards and boundaries, so maybe you won't be a suitable client, but um, we can we can try our best if you do let us know what your needs are. Um, and and yeah, we, we do have a triage method Facebook group as well. That's called the triage method community. Uh, we post a lot of stuff in there that doesn't go on our other social media. So I would advise people to join there. Um, you can also find all of our articles and stuff when we publish them, uh, they'll be available first and foremost on, uh, on the Facebook group. So get involved in that. You can also join the triage method newsletter. That's our general newsletter where we basically send out an email, uh, with a specific post. It'll include recommended resources from around the, the internet. One of my clients this week asked me for fitness podcast recommendations and 
basically we've got we've been sending them out every single week on the newsletter so if you are interested um in things like podcasts we recommend fitness and non-fitness related uh you can find all that sort of stuff there um and also it's a good place to keep up with the content that we produce throughout the week and other than that we do have other social media we have a youtube channel triage method on youtube we also have a facebook page and an instagram page um instagram also has more organic content that you won't find on our website so if you follow us there you'll get more content that you won't find elsewhere 100 percent, carrie and just on the coach's corner this is coming out on monday i don't know what date it is coming out on 17th maybe yes um so monday the 17th i'm hoping that the monday after that is the launch date for the coaches yeah. corner. So if you've been listening to this the last one, you're like, oh, when is it coming out? I listen, I joined the list and you know, whenever it came out in June or whenever we made the list. Um and I've been on it the whole time. I just want when is it coming out? Because we've had that asked a few times, either via email or in the Facebook group or whatever. And we're like, oh, when is it coming out? So we're hoping that it'll launch not this Monday that you're listening to this on, the next Monday. Um, and that's the goal with it. And effectively what we're going to do is five days. It'll just be open. Anyone can join from that Monday. But if you're on the email list, you will get a discount, right? We're thinking probably 25% discount. I think that seems reasonable. And um, since yep. you've waited so long, um, and it'll be like five days long. And all you'll have to do is get your discount code and then go onto the website and you get a discount 25 recurring for life, you know? Um, so obviously that's a, an incentive to get on the, the wait list if you're not already on there. Um, but that's when we're hoping to have it launched and then we're hoping to, you know, have a nice stream of content coming out because we actually have quite a bit in there. We also have quite a bit that's, we'll say half done in terms of I have all my lectures planned out or I have some of the videos ready to go and they just need to be uploaded and stuff like that. So it'll be a constant drip of stuff coming out. Like we're ideally, we're putting ourselves under some ambitious targets of like two to four bits of content per week, you know, and these could be like an hour long lecture or whatever. And um, so that's, you know, it's fairly ambitious, but why I'm saying that is because I think it'll be well worth your money to invest in it. You know, it's effectively like I'm viewing it at least like a, a university education, except in, it's actually more like a trade school i'd say you know yeah. where it's like it's more applied it's more uh this is the information yeah like we can do a deep dive on that because there are certain sections where you know we need to do a little bit of a, a deeper dive on a certain topic you know it could be i don't know sleep or something where we need to know we need to have some fundamentals we need to know what's going on otherwise you don't understand the protocols like why are you doing this or why are you doing that you know you don't really understand it unless you have a little bit of a, an overview or like gary was saying you know anatomy and stuff you need to have an understanding of that if you're going to be choosing exercises to, you know, you know, build muscle in those areas, you know? So some of it is like more theoretical, but it's always with that view to being applied. It's not just theory for the sake of theory. It's not like I've got loads of books just over here and it's like, yeah, these are great. They're teaching me about physiology or nutrition or biochemistry or whatever, but it's like, you're not really telling me what to do with that information. It's like, yeah, look, it's dissociated from reality. It's like, here's the the skeletal system you know it's like okay cool like what, how does that influence anything that i do apart from knowing where the femur is <laughs> you know you're just like i don't know how to apply this that's not what we want we want it to be a case where you're like 
this is the femur, this is femur length, this is how it applies to squats, this is how it applies to your decision making, this is how you become a better coach because you now understand all of this stuff because you're now able to help more people, you know? So that's something that we found in the industry. Just, well, it's in most education fields, it's just so dissociated from application. It's all just theoretical. There's no actually applied. And whether you're a doctor or you're a personal trainer, it can be very theoretical at times. And obviously doctors sort this out to an extent with you know placements and stuff where it's like, all right, like you've learned all the theory, let's roll up the sleeves and get hands on to this stuff in the personal training field. That's kind of not there. You don't have someone to turn to where you're like, look, I don't know how to help these people. Where do I go? My certification organization, they, they don't have any real continuing education. Like, yeah, they have a, a five credit course or whatever to do, but that's not really helping me because it's not giving me hands-on information. It's not giving me applied information. It's not, it's not helping me ultimately achieve what I want to do, which is obviously as a coach, help more people, but also obviously make more money because you need to eat as well, you know, and that's, that's what we want to solve. So there's going to be a lot in there. Um, and I hope people do enjoy it because I think it'll be good. Sure. Hope so. Right. I have nothing else to say, Gary. Do you? Nope. It's too easy. Right. It literally is too easy. <laughs>